The work hours for a professional working in athletics can fluctuate. That's why the University of Cincinnati Online designed a Master of Sports Administration program that is both flexible and 100% online. Connect and build relationships with other students, alumni working in athletics, and their experienced staff. The best part? You can graduate in as little as one year. Unsure about going back to school? UC Online has a team of student success coordinators ready to guide you from start to graduation. Reach out and learn more about UC Online today. You see this in sports all the time is uh, people want to work in sports. Okay, I get that. So do I. Yeah, right. (laughs) But tell me what about the job you love? Is it more than you love the Golden Knights? Because if it's just that you love the Golden Knights, we've got season tickets I can sell you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Let me transfer you to the sales department. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. There is so much nuance in the sports industry. We tend to think sometimes that if you want to work in sports, you know exactly what you're reaching for and going after. But what you're forgetting is that there's a different lens and approach you have to put on depending on what sport you work in, what location you work in, what your end goals are as an organization. So let me put this in perspective for you. Think about event management for a second. You are working on putting on a sporting event. Do you think that differs whether you're in Los Angeles or Charlotte? Possibly. In LA, glam, glitz, hip hop, rock and roll, Charlotte, maybe country, maybe a little bit different audience, maybe a little bit different way of attracting them. Now layer in what sport you're playing. NHL, a little different audience maybe than the NBA. You're always having to think about who is my audience? Who is that ideal persona that I am trying to attract? Whether you're in event management or you're in sales or you're in journalism, whatever your job may be, you have to take a step back and not assume anything. You have to really think about who am I trying to talk to in these moments? Who am I trying to attract? Who am I trying to sell to? Let's talk about sales a little bit. Do you think if you go in and sell with the same approach on the East Coast as you do on the West Coast, that you're going to get the same results? Probably not. I'll give you an example from my own experience. Coming up in the journalism side, in the sports media world, I started out at CNN Sports Illustrated in Atlanta, as I've mentioned many times in this show. East Coast, fast-paced, urgent, but at the same time, standards of journalism. You had to have multiple sources that you had checked and double-checked. We had fact-checkers. Before we'd go on the air with stories, we went through layers and layers and layers of approvals. And that was our process. And everything was urgent and breaking news and fast-paced. And then I got a job out in Seattle with Fox Sports. I'll tell you what. I showed up with that urgency and that fast pace, and it was a very different environment. It wasn't just the audience that was different. It was the people that I worked with that were different as well. It was a little bit of a slower pace. West Coast was a little bit different. And then layer in one more point was the actual journalism approach. So like I said at CNN, we had to have everything double and triple checked with fact checkers, et cetera. Fox, the attitude was a little bit more like, well, if you heard this person whispering outside the locker room and you think you really understood what they said, that's probably good enough. So it's a little bit different approach to journalism. Every position in our industry has more nuance to it than just the job description, which brings up a really interesting case. Now, if I'm talking about East Coast, West Coast, if I'm talking about NBA, NHL, what happens when you throw Vegas in the mix? Vegas changes everything. 
Because now there's no wrong answer. There is any approach that can work. You've now got people who are locals. You've got transients. You've got visitors. You've got gamblers. You've got everybody coming from everywhere. You've got country music fans. You've got rock and roll fans. You've got hip hop fans. Everything happens in Vegas and it is expected that you turn the dial up, which is why this conversation today with Nate Ewell, Vice President of Communications and Content for the Stanley Cup winning Vegas Golden Knights is so exciting. So let's turn it over to my friend Nate Ewell and let's get this conversation cracking. Hey, Nate, congratulations. You're representing the Stanley Cup champion uh, where you're your clothing today shares the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup champion emblem. You must be really proud this offseason. Thank you so much for joining me and jumping into this conversation. Yeah, my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's a uh, an awfully fun time. It's always a fun time in Vegas, but it's a uh, especially fun summer this summer. Yeah, we're going to dive into how much fun it is in Vegas and how different you guys are doing things and how much of a challenge that must be or, or a fun challenge. But um, before we get into any of that, let's get into a little bit of your background so much of your career has been focused in the NHL and in college uh, college hockey. When did you kind of figure that out and say, this is the way, the direction that I want to go, that I want to work in the NHL, this is something I'm passionate about? How did that all kind of come together for you as you created your vision for your own career? I, I think sports was the focus for me, and and hockey grew out of that as, as a nice niche in, in sports. Um, I grew up in a, in a sports family. My father was a coach, so... Uh, I grew up around around the rinks, around the football fields, around the lacrosse fields that he was coaching at. And uh, I always say that's the, the greatest way to grow up. And I, I jealous now of, of seeing, you know, Bruce Cassidy's kids running around the rink because I, those are the best days of my life. Those are those were great. I think I knew uh, early on that I wasn't going to be a star athlete and uh, recognized that to the point where I said, okay, well, there's other ways. There's, a, there's other things that you can do in, in this world. Um, and then uh, from the sports realm, then focusing into hockey, I think just kind of fell into place based on, uh, on the places that I've been able to, to go and the people I've been able to meet. It's, it is a, uh, a special niche in sports hockey. And, and uh, I think creates great relationships, great people. And, and, um, that's allowed me to focus a little bit, but that doesn't take away my love of, of say lacrosse or football or, or other sports too. It's just, uh, it, it's happened to be where I've made the best relationships and had the best opportunities. It's so interesting. We've interviewed enough people over time on this show that you see people who have stuck with one sport their entire career. You see others that jump from sport to sport and they like that experience. They jump from college to pro. A lot of various experiences out there. And and it's nice that everybody gets to kind of carve their own way. One thing that really stands out to me though in your bio, you got your bachelor's degree from Princeton, impressive enough, but it was in history. So I think that's really interesting that, you know, we see so many people now and, and you and I are around the same age and we didn't have sports management degrees when I was in college. That wasn't really an offering. So you made other choices. I always had this vision. I wanted to work in sports. But why did history become your choice? And how has that, how has that influenced where you are right now? Is that a, do you ever, you ever pull that back out? I, I think it's probably more, I, I knew where I wanted to go. And as you say, sports management wasn't an option. Yep. And, and Princeton is a liberal arts education. It's very much uh broad based and there isn't a business degree there. Yeah. It's trying to, to uh, expose you to as much as you can, which I thought was a, a fantastic opportunity for me. I knew I wanted to be, I really wanted to be a sports writer at the time. I didn't 
didn't think PR necessarily was going to be the avenue, but uh, I did look at what was offered and, and the opportunities there and thought, you know, history has some application. It, it's certainly um, the historic element of sports and, and looking at sports through the years is appealing to me, but, uh, but also, you know, the, the critical thinking that, that you put into a history degree was appealing. It was a lot of fun. I, I thought in college, you learned such a different way of thinking about history than you do in high school when you're memorizing dates and wars yeah. and, you know, who won this battle. Once you're in college, it's, it's more the why. And that's, that really appealed to me of, of history. Um, I enjoyed writing. Um, that, that was another piece of it. Um, and then I got a great piece of advice actually from a, an upperclassman who said, uh, you know, at Princeton, you have to do a senior thesis. And when you're a history major, you can write your senior thesis about anything that has happened before. <laughs> there's, there's, no, playing field. there's no yeah. boundaries, you know, yeah. he's like, you can't be predicting the future necessarily, but you can write about anything that's already happened. And, and that to me was, was really appealing. That's really interesting. So we get a lot of, we do a lot of episodes based around fan questions. So young people write in and say, hey, here's a problem I'm facing. What do you think? And we just recently in the last week got a question from somebody saying that I'm going to a liberal arts college, Wellesley in Massachusetts, and they weren't sure what major to pursue. So I think this is really relevant. And it's an interesting way to think. I'd also suggested economics because I think that is a path you see a lot of front office people, you see success with that kind of thinking and that mentality and the financial side. But I think that that critical thinking is is probably we we don't put enough emphasis on that probably. I, I think that's another value too to to law degrees is that thinking. It's um, you know obviously the legal background can help you in sports, but the, just the way that you have to think in law school and they teach you to approach problems in a different way. I, probably jumping ahead here, but when I look at hiring people, I'm always thinking more about what's your experience than what your education was. Yeah, I, I see some value in in sports management, but you've got to supplement that with internships and there's nothing holding a history major back from having good internships. So I don't think having a liberal arts education is in any way a negative when you're looking at hiring someone. So let's keep going this direction. I'm trying not to sound like an old man saying, you know, get off my lawn and everybody writes in, you know, 240 characters. And so communication has been lost, but let's be real. When we start talking about those soft skills that can stand out, so we talk about skills-based hiring. You have to have those experiences, those things you can do, and you can write a press release, and you can do these certain things that are part and parcel to any role. But overall, communication, internally, externally, all of that, how important is that to you when you go through a hiring process to make sure that somebody is able to properly communicate as part of the organization and externally as well? It's huge. It's... it's um really in, in this realm, it's, it's everything. And, and so it starts with writing and writing, unfortunately, I think is, is a lost art or, or at least a fading art in, um, in a lot of young people. I, I do think, you know, there's a skill to writing short, there's a skill to writing in 240 characters. That's certainly true. Um, but if you can't put together a cover letter, um, you're not going to get hired, or at least to me, you know, and, and again, maybe that does make us sound old, but, um, that is where I start. I want to see that you can write. And if you can compose an email and you can compose a cover letter, then I feel confident that, okay, you're going to be able to compose a, a press release and, and things that maybe are, are more edited. Um, but uh, you, you've got to start with that base. Totally agree. And I want to hit on the cover letter part. Okay. I've done this poll before. I'm somebody that reads a cover letter. 
I want to see how somebody puts their thoughts together and if they can hook me, like make me interested in some way, shape, or form. What are you looking for? Because this is a question I get a lot from young people. They're like, how do I make my cover letter more than just turning my resume into paragraph form? Like, what do I do there? Are you looking for somebody to really catch your eye and, and have some other angle to it? Are you looking for just the facts? Like, what are you looking for when you're reading through cover letters of, of young people that might be applying for jobs? I, I do think, um, one, you need to stand out somehow. So it, it just can't be the same as everybody else's. But, uh, but one thing I really do look for, um, and you see this in sports all the time, is uh, people want to work in sports. Okay, I get that. I, so do I. Yeah, right. <laughs> but tell me what about the job you love. So from a communication standpoint, do you love writing? Do you love telling stories? Um, is it more than you love the Golden Knights? Yeah. Um, Cause if it's just that you love the Golden Knights, we've got season tickets. I can sell you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Let me transfer you to the sales department. <laughs> yeah. You need to love to be a communicator. You need to love to, to create content. Yeah. You need to love that part of the job. It's, it's gotta be more than I love hockey. And I love, uh, I love your team. Um, that, so I think that's one place that people can stand apart and, uh, and really create a picture of who they are more than, uh, than necessarily what they want out of the job. I'm a geek for this stuff. Not only the content side, cause that's where I've spent my entire career, but also, um, the hiring side. Cause I do think it's an, an art form in a lot of ways and that you are as a young person or a career changer or whoever, anybody trying to get a job. You are competing against a stack of applicants in the, in the sports world. We have all kinds of people that want to work in our industry. And, and unless you have the, the real qualifications, the real skill, the real enthusiasm, that experience, you're not going to stand out. Just that idea of like, I'm a huge fan. Well, like you said, we got plenty of those. Uh, doing something to stand out and to really match that particular job, not just I want to work for your team no matter what, uh, really does make a huge difference. Getting back into your, uh, your career path a little bit, your first foray post-college was on the college sports side at Michigan State. Communication, sports information, you know, that's still that realm that you were looking at, being able to write and look through the data and historical information, which to totally fits. What did you like about the college experience? Because now we know you're in the pros now. What did you like about the college experience? And how do you see it as different from the, the world you're in now or when you were with the Washington Capitals as far as this pro experience? I love the passion of college sports and I love the, the hook that it sets in uh, alums in the community. Um, and for me, it was really special to go from Princeton, which obviously has a devoted, you know, passion for the school. People love the school, but people maybe don't love Princeton sports the way that they love Michigan state sports. And so I, I graduated from Princeton the next day I flew out to Michigan state and interviewed for a job in their sports information department. And on the drive from the airport in Lansing to East Lansing, I saw all the block S's and the Spartan heads up on every car, every window, every billboard. And I was like, man, this is really cool. <laughs> this is really neat. And then, you know, I'm fortunate enough to get the job. First event is a Nebraska Michigan state football game with 70,000 people. And I thought not a bad start. <laughs> Yeah, this is a little different. This is yeah. another world. Yeah. Um, so it was really eye-opening for me to, to be able to go out there and, and see Big Ten sports and see, you know, a whole nother level of passion, a whole nother level of, of uh, meaning. Um, and I think, uh, you know, pro sports has meaning to people. They're, 
there is a very real um, level of pride here in Vegas about what the Golden Knights were able to accomplish. It's different when you have the same degree that the kids playing have. And you can say, yeah, I went to school with him or I, you know, he, he was in the same dorm I was in that it's just different. It's uh, college sports is really special. And, and uh, um, I, I think there's, there's elements obviously that I love about the pro game, but, but college is really, really special. Well, you did make the jump to the pro game uh, in between where you are now with the Washington Capitals as a VP of communication. Sometimes in the comms world, you get really lucky when you have an iconic talent on the team too. Obviously, Ovechkin was, what, three-time NHL MVP around that time. Uh, that's an interesting demand from a communication standpoint is because so many times it's all about the team, but then you've got this iconic player who has his own, like, energy and media behind it. What was that like for you, uh, trying to lead the team and have so much going on and with, the, with the caps at that time with the popularity of Ovechkin and the team doing well? It was, it was really neat um, coming in, and so I had a I had a— a two-year window with the Caps, then I stepped away for a little bit and came back. And I came back just as Ovechkin came into the league. And the neat thing was, and probably the challenging thing was, that the team wasn't very good yet. So um, obviously they they get to pick Ovechkin because they were bad. Right. Um, and then they come out of a year-long lockout. They're still bad, but they have this, this guy who's transcendent, just yeah. amazing. And um, I remember talking to uh, our captain at the time was Jeff Halpern, and a guy that I was fortunate enough to be in college with at Princeton. And I had a great relationship with Jeff and you know, we're, we're out of the playoff picture. It's January and, and we keep bringing in Sports Illustrated and ESPN and, and they all want to talk to Ovi. They don't want to talk to anybody else. And, and I said, is, Hey, it, is this okay? Is this yeah. ruffling your guys' feathers? Is it causing problems in the locker room? And he goes, no, he's incredible. <laughs> we all love him. Cause he's a great person. He's a, he's, he is genuine as, as anybody. Um, and we all go to practice with him and marvel at what he does. So it, it created a, a neat environment where, you know, his teammates recognized just how special he was. Um, obviously the media and we were able to share that and then to build upon that, the team success that they enjoyed in his third year, once you could bring a Nick Backstrom in and, and build kind of the, the team around him. Um, it, it made it a lot of fun and really rewarding to, to then celebrate the team success on top of him being such a transcendent player. On your own personal side, when you become the VP of communication for a pro team like that, you obviously have a lot of team members, you have a lot of responsibilities and mandates. What were those biggest challenges as you first started getting into that as a, as a leader, as for, for task management, for problem solving, for all those important things? Like what were those aha moments when you're like, wow, this is, this is big. This is a lot. Probably um, the first thing's probably hiring, you know, right in, in line with, with the things that you talk Art. about here, Brian. Um, yeah, that's a whole different skill. That's, that's a whole different skill than you learn as, you know, writing and, and PR in general, uh, identifying talent and, and knowing how to interview them, how to, how to, uh, yeah. how to pick a winner out of it. Um, and, and those are probably the things that I'm proudest of. You know, I look back and, and uh, still a good friend, Paul Rovnak, who is uh, now at the University of Minnesota and, and running their football communications. The fact that I was able to pick Paul Rovnak, that makes me proud, you yeah. know, that, that I, I, I learned and, and was able to hire him. I was able to hire, been able to hire some really good people through the years. And, uh, um, I would 
admit first that I wasn't great at it right off the bat. So uh, you do learn. Um, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's more trial and error than you learn, but you, you, you learn eventually on, on some of the things to ask and how to get a sense of somebody. I think uh, leading in itself is, is another element and um, uh, leading not just uh, your department and, and people that work for you, but also leading amongst departments and making sure that you can collaborate across departments. That's something that, uh, that I still get better at here. That cross-functional collaboration is so important. You know, during your, your window of time and communication and content, so much has changed. Like the influence of social media, the digital nature of, of sports and content and how, I mean, when I was first growing up, it was newspapers and it was a couple of magazines and it was a couple, well, it was plenty of magazines, but it was a couple broadcast stations. Uh, and then everything is shifted. How important is it for you to be agile and to approach these new things with eyes wide open, but then also balance that with, well, you can't chase every shiny object either because there's a new social media channel popping up every day, it seems like. Um, what's been your approach to continually adjusting and growing yourself? I think one thing that that has helped me was um, was having media experience as an undergrad um, and, and working, you know, in those departments, doing doing student newspaper, doing student radio, uh, having that perspective has, has really helped because now in communications, we are all doing all those things. The thing that that uh, disappoints me about the landscape now is is the lack of media. I, I, I do think. You know, it's hard when you have a great story and you want to find the right person to tell it and you read about the New York Times shutting its sports section down. Yeah. You know, I, that to me, as an old school media guy, that, that's heartbreaking. It is. It, get, it does give more opportunities to teams to tell their own stories and, and certainly uh, gives us more responsibility, I think, to do a good job telling our stories and making sure that our fans get different perspectives and we can use different platforms and, and, you know, tell a video story, a written story, a, a podcast story in, in all these different ways, kind of a roundabout, I guess, way of answering your question, but you, you do have to be nimble. you got to be yeah. able to, to do all those things and be able to picture um, how people want to consume things in different ways. Um, I, I think we always challenge ourselves here in Vegas by saying, you know, people are go going to go to different avenues to, to hear our story so let's make sure, not that we're repeating ourselves, but that we're telling it in different ways. Yeah. Um, because the same person that, that listens to a podcast is not going to read the website and vice versa. I think it's really interesting the dynamic that has changed in the flow of information over the last decade plus. With when, you know, when I was in the broadcast media and at CNN Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports, you know, the teams would come to us to get their message out. You know, they would come, and now... All the teams have their own internal departments that are that are delivering and 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 I don't want to say steering the narrative. It's, they're telling their own stories. They're they're doing their own breakdown film. They're doing their own you know top six things that need to happen coming into this game this weekend or whatever own analysis, etc. Um, it's an interesting dynamic that's completely shifted, and it's and it's both happy and sad because we have seen a lot of the greatest writers from our generation that I used to just look to so often that don't have as high profile roles anymore or and the, the newspapers have been diminished and the TV stations don't have the same kind of impact anymore. But then on the same time, I don't know, I think there's a lot of opportunities that have been opened up and still exist in the the sports world for sports journalism and communication. Might be a little different, but the, the opportunities still exist on the team level. I, I think so, absolutely. And opportunity is the right word. People want to 
digest content about yeah. their favorite things, you know, that they, and they're going to go where it is. So, um, I have a, a favorite quote. It's, uh, Bob Ryan. I know you're a mascot, oh, yeah. but Boston Globe. That was one of the names I was thinking of, but yeah. I mean, the, uh, has there ever been a better sports publication than the Boston Globe when we were growing up? And, and Bob Ryan had a, had a line in one of his columns that was, if the games went completely unreported, would they not become trees falling in a forest? Yeah. And, and you know, we've got to cover our games. It yep. can't just be open the doors and sell tickets. Right. You've got to provide the other different angles and ways that people can digest our, our teams and our stories and our personalities. And I think it is opportunity as much as it is a challenge. Yeah. It's, um, it's ways to other ways to tell the story. So Vegas from all of your other experiences, it's a little different. We can't deny that. I have family out in Vegas. We go out there a lot. It's like Vegas is Vegas is a different part of the United States in a lot of ways. And they do everything bigger and brighter and more dramatic. And I actually, so I, I mentioned I worked at CNN and I also worked at Fox Sports. And there was very different ways of running journalism at those two departments. Like at CNN, it was like five sources, double check everything before you go on air. At Fox, it was like, if you hear somebody talking while you're walking down the hall, that's probably good enough. Run with it. Um, so I ask you, not, I'm sure it's not quite that dramatic, but I ask you, in your experience, just how different is it with the Vegas persona, with the Vegas energy versus the other college sports teams you work for, or College Hockey Inc., or for the, for the, the Capitals? Like, how, how different is the, the approach and attitude when you're trying to line up with that persona of Vegas? It's really different and, and it's fun. It's challenging and it's, uh, um, I think it keeps things fresh because when we, anything that we approach, we say, okay, we can't do it the way we did it last time. And we can't do it the way the other team did it because we're Vegas. Yeah. I've used this line uh, and to get attention here, you have to build a replica of the Eiffel tower <laughs> <laughs> or, or the statue of Liberty. Like, yeah. Otherwise, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's you. even notice you're there. Yeah. So when we announce a new coach, we can't just do our traditional. Here's a press release. Yeah. And, and here's here's we're going to put him out in front of a podium and, and just expect it to work. Like when we introduced Bruce last year, we had him voice his own introduction video, which I thought was really cool. It was yeah. a great buy-in from him. A little something different for us. Um, it it makes for a really fun environment to work in when when you're surrounded by creative people who all have that same charge that hey let's let's try to lean into this we're going to be different we're going to be vegas we're not going to just try and plant a hockey team here and pretend it's a normal hockey city yeah it's not so let's embrace it that's got to be a fun part of it though is like nothing's completely out of bounds it's not like you'd hear an idea around a brainstorming table and somebody throws something out and you're like no way we'd never do that you're like ah, yeah we could consider it right i mean wait, wait, you never know, you never know <laughs> anything's in play kind of so let's get back to the the rev um the resume and the application and the building a team side a little bit uh when you're reviewing and you have a role to fill and I think this is some of the most important um, information we can give to our audience. And I know it varies from job to job, but from your department viewpoint, like what do you, what are those like must have kind of skills that somebody getting into this field outside of writing, we know they must have writing ability, but what are you looking for that says, all right, if a person has these five things, they're at least in the ballpark. What are we looking at? I'd say a real differentiator for me is, is um, not just did you have the experience before, 
but where did you work before? So did you work at a, at a team that I respect how they do things? Um, because if you've learned from the right people, then you're going to end up being the right kind of person on our staff. So that, that's a big part of it. it. You know, that comes back to relationships in a lot of cases yeah. because, you know, then I can turn to the people you worked for and ask them. And if there's somebody I respect, then, then that has that much more weight. So I, I do encourage, you know, people, young people looking at jobs may jump at the first opportunity. Um, it's hard not to, yeah. but take a look at where you're going. What's their reputation? And, and that's, I think, a great interview question. One of the challenges when you're applying for jobs is always knowing, okay, what do I ask the person that is interviewing me? Because you better have some questions. If, oh, yeah. if you don't, I cross you off. I, that's one thing. I hope everybody heard that. Yes, that is a great point. Continue. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to make sure everybody heard that. Yep. Um, but one I love, and and I had somebody ask uh, about a year ago, what's your reputation in terms of a department? And it's I think it's it, a really enlightening thing to to hear from leaders what how they think they're perceived. How did you answer it? Uh, I said, well, I hope people say this about, it. you know, I hope that people say we're innovative, we're um, accommodating, we're, we're helpful, um, we're, we're good hosts, we are creative um, and collaborative. Those are the, the two key words for us in, in Vegas and our department are, are creative and collaborative because yeah. we need to work with so many other people in the organization and we need to come up with new ways to do things. So those are the biggest things for us. Which gets back to the importance of communication, too, because when you're going to work collaboratively across groups, you have to be able to communicate well. Um, I know we talk about communication a lot of times externally, but internally and working with others and really making clear messages uh, is a, is a definitely a lost art and skill that we see nowadays. I have people reach out to me on LinkedIn, and even their outreach is like broken English. And I'm like, this is a bad first impression. That's your, that's your brand, and you have to own that. You have to take it yep. seriously, and I don't think enough people do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Golden Knights, obviously, I mean, since their franchise debut, two Stanley Cup uh, finals now, one victory, uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance. Like I said, I have family in the Vegas area. They go to all kinds of games, even though they were from Philadelphia and were diehard Philly F Flyers fans. Now they're, now they're uh, VGK fans. Where do you go from here? How do you keep raising that bar? Because that has to be pretty daunting to always be creating and looking for that new thing? I think for us, it's going to be critical to maintain the level of importance that we we feel in this market right now and, and the way we represent this market as a Vegas-born franchise, as this market grows. Um, how do we maintain that connection to the people that live here? There is an almost collegial bond between this team and, and its fans. Um, and it's certainly nothing I can take credit for. I, I've only been here two years. Um, it started year one and uh, it is, uh, it's remarkable. I, I mentioned, you know, getting to Michigan state and seeing all the, the logos everywhere. The coolest thing in Vegas, and I don't know if you've witnessed this in your visits, but to me, the coolest thing is seeing the license plates and the logos on all the license plates. Yeah. How many, we have something, we have somewhere north of 60,000 license plates in the market. Wow. Um, and you got to pay extra for those, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, you've got to sign what a up, great branding opportunity too. I mean, everybody's seeing your logo every day. They're sitting in traffic, and and yep. I mean, it's everywhere around them. That's a really cool project. But I think we we need to continue to foster that bond, foster that love between the the community and the team, um, and uh, 
and celebrate our success. You know, the, the parade was a great example of that. Make sure that, that we're embracing the community and, and embracing it in an authentic Vegas way. My mother-in-law who lives out there messaged us afterwards and she's like, we're, we're going, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law live out there. And she's like, we're going to the parade. I'm like, you are? And she's like, oh yeah, we're going. And she couldn't stop raving about how just cool an event it was and just how much the community has gotten behind the team and how I beforehand said to her, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if Vegas will embrace a, a pro sports team. We'll have to see. And I had to admit that I was completely wrong. So um, it's, it's clear that things have been so energized out there. I want to appreciate and be respectful of your time. This has been such an awesome conversation. We'll finish up with this. Uh, you obviously have your hands in the content world too, obviously with communication and content. And content is forever changing and there's so many things that are on the horizon right now. What kind of excites you out there? What are you looking at and saying, I think that has some staying power. I think that might be something we want to explore or try. Uh, because, I mean, I'm a content geek and I love hearing from experts like you what is uh, what is moving the needle in your mind right now. It's funny. There, there is a ton that excites me. I think video obviously is, is, uh, is continuing to evolve, continuing to get better. You look at things like, like the drone shots of the team celebration on the ice. That was an, you know, a new way of looking at something that happens every year. So very much always looking for that next, next thing, next way to experience, uh, the things that we see in sports all the time. But the biggest thing I'm spending my time on this week is our commemorative book. And mm. I still think, you know, that we're going to come away with a championship book that people are going to value and going to cherish. Um, we need to make sure we do a first class job of it and create the best product we can. And it's a book like <laughs> this is yeah. we're talking about, you know, hundred of year old technology. This isn't you know, this is nothing yep. new. Yeah. So when it comes to content, I do think that there's some timeless things that we can continue to, to improve upon and continue to, to uh, tell great stories with that may not be cutting edge. Uh, that might, I don't know if I'm dodging your question, but no, I think it's a great approach to it. Don't miss the, the, the tried and true ways of, of doing things because that's the thing that's going to stand the test of time. I think that is great perspective because we always think of the future as the newest tech and the newest bells and whistles. And yet sometimes that, that grounding reminder, that foundational reminder that there are important other ways we've always done things that people will really gravitate towards and can hold on to and cherish is really important to remember. That's really cool. I like that answer a lot. Thanks. I appreciate that. Nate, this has been such an awesome conversation. Congrats to all the, congrats to all the success with Vegas. Uh, I mean, it's, it's such an impressive career journey, but also so many interesting things happening out there that you were able to share today and your perspective on, on resumes and applying and how to stand out. So, so valuable to our audience. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate what you do and I uh, appreciate all the talent that's out there listening. Thanks to Nate for coming on the show. I really found it interesting that when pushed in that last question about where he'd like to go from a, from a technology standpoint, what are those things that really pique his interest? He went old school. He went to those foundational concepts of creating a book, creating a mem memorable piece that you can walk away with. I found that fascinating because we get so often on this track of newest, shiniest, brightest thing. And sometimes you just got to dial back and say, what do the people want? They want a commemorative book that they can look at and really enjoy. Great stuff, Nate. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll catch you next week.